When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. I'm your host, Manuel Feed, And as always, I'm joined by Adrian Sosa. Adrian, buddy, how's it going? Going great. Going great. It was a very exciting end to the Champions League group stage that I cannot wait to speak about. I'll save all of my comments for when we get into the meat of it. But I'm doing well, Manuel. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. And uh, we have tons to discuss today and it's going some really interesting topics the Champions League is one of them of course uh, MLS Cup final we're going to talk a little bit about this latest Ricardo Pepe drama that I'm sure our co-host Filippo is just dying to talk about drama or fake news wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about it there, there there might be some truth to it but definitely not buying into it like in the past we've seen we've seen this playbook before we've seen it, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned. We're going to discuss that uh, in great detail. But I, I do want to start with all the Champions League drama. And let's, I mean, Adrian, the Portuguese teams heavily involved in it um, this time around. Let's start with your friends at Sporting. And I mean, God. <laughs> where do you start with them? That was a masterclass in how to... Uh, put yourself out of the Champions League, wasn't it, Manuel? I, I guess. I mean, I, I thought that, personally, I thought that Frankfurt were, were deserved to go through. I know there was a little bit of controversy, right? Um, but on balance, you cannot ever, ever um, count out um, the Adler for mine. Frankfurt is a team that has earned a reputation in Europe um, over many years, right, through several deep Europa League runs. It's almost like they they did a step-by-step progression. Um, and now they're in the Champions League where they where they are where they're basically doing what they did for years in the Europa League, um, turning around results, never being counted out, and do it in the most difficult environment, coming back. But there is an image going around um Adrian on social media with the um with the oh where is it you send it to me with what, what happened how the group developed right and the group started with sporting uh, with tottenham sporting frankfurt marseille in that order and throughout the match day the order changed it changed actually all the way to the 95th minute when tottenham scored a late winner to go top of the group ahead of frankfurt but this group was insane right it was. And and just to sort of build off of what I was saying about sporting was they were the masters of their own demise. And this is going back to the matches against Marseille, because there was, of course, that first match in Marseille where Antonio Adan, their keeper, I'm sure everyone remembers, had those moments of madness, you know, giving away the ball for the first goal, running out of his own area and getting a handball and a red card shortly after, just like absolutely handing the match to Marseille in Marseille. Then they play at home. They lose 2-0 to Marseille at home. 
So there was just like failure after failure. Even against Tottenham, they had plenty of opportunities at 1-0 up to make it 2-0. And they missed and they missed and they missed. And then, of course, Tottenham get an equalizer and nearly a winner, if not for that narrow offside. So Sporting just, I don't know, the ultimate collapse. It's not been a good season for them. They're even having trouble domestically. Ruben Amarim is looking frustrated, especially in the media. So this group, I mean, it it delivered. There was also that group last season where we were referring to it as the group of life. You'll have to remind me of all the teams that were, were in there. I believe it was Lille. Um, there's another German team as well. I maybe shouldn't even brought it up without remembering who else was in it. But Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, yes. It was, a, it was another one that just... It came down to the last day where basically each match was whoever wins will go through and the ultimate shakeup. I think every team may have taken a turn in each spot, basically, throughout this final second half of the match day, basically. I also think this shows us once again that the best groups in the Champions League are not necessarily the ones with the flashy teams, right? We look into a group like Bayern, Inter, and Barcelona, and it was overly attractive, the group itself. But it was nowhere near as exciting as a balanced group like Group D. Right, and we saw that in past seasons also. I think me and Adrian, we recorded a World Cup preview for Group B. Was it B, Adrian, that we even made that joke that this might be the weakest group in the World Cup, but it might also turn out to be the most exciting one? Yeah, exactly. It was that Group B. It was one of those ones where we basically put it as like, you could put all these teams in a Yahtzee Cup and shake it up and sort of convince yourself that anything can happen, right? Those are the fun groups. Yeah, like England, Iran, Wales, and... and, um, and uh the United States are like, this is the weakest group in the World Cup, but, you know, it might turn out no, to be... That the group group. will be insane. Because it's so balanced. Everyone's so yeah. bad right now. No, no, that group is... I have, I have high hopes for some drama in that group. Um, Iran and Wales to go through. You'll see. <laughs> I wouldn't... That's, that's exactly what we're saying, Manuel, is that it will be the most entertaining group because you can shake it up in any sort of direction. Yeah. Oh, and 100%. Just, just, like, just group D, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, like that's what what we saw in this um, in this Frankfurt group, right? Although, I mean, at the same time, maybe we also underestimate the the. I mean, Tottenham, okay, Tottenham or Tottenham, but Sporting, Olympic Marseille, and Frankfurt are also the teams that have some of the craziest atmospheres in their respective stadiums, right? And I think that also is an X factor that a lot of people underestimate because like you go to the Waldstadion in Frankfurt and the roof comes off every time. Sporting is kind of crazy as well. And Olympic Marseille in the Velodrome is just, just as crazy. So yeah, I, I guess we shouldn't have been as surprised as we were, Adrian. Yeah. I mean, the start of Velodrome, I often find that, you know, someone referred to Marseille as almost having like a South American feel to it in the stadium. And I, I can see that because mm. it's just like a cauldron that is insane. And I think everyone needs to keep uh, Seyad Kolasinac in their thoughts because that miss that he had at 1-1 with minutes remaining, he could have put Marseille in the driving seat. And it was one of those chances where I think the commentator said it was harder to put it wide than it was to put it in. And the poor man with a mm. header at the back post puts it wide. And then, of course, Tottenham go in the other direction and score through Hoybier. It was just, uh, I feel for the guy. How different it could have been. So Tottenham and Conte were lucky to still be in this. Uh, Manuel, I have a question. I don't know if we're even going to go through this, but are we going to talk a little about the La Liga teams? Because they're, they're like all <laughs> out. Besides, through, right? besides the current champions, Real Madrid, Sevilla, 
Barcelona and Atletico Madrid are out. Barcelona and Sevilla will go to the Europa League. Barcelona once again. And Atletico Madrid will just go home. Atletico is probably the craziest one. They were in the group with Leverkusen, right? And Leverkusen and Atletico doing their very best to ensure that Porto and Bruges can go through. Um, both those teams on five points each. Leverkusen going through on the head-to-head against Atletico. Um, that group was really weird. Yeah, Liga. but what's up with La Liga, though? Because we do know the clubs there, some massive clubs there are with plenty of financial difficulties, right? Yeah. You look at teams Barcelona like first and foremost. Barcelona, or they're just like filled with debt more than they can deal with. Uh, Valencia, which is not in the Champions League, but it's a team that anyone that's older than 25 remembers how good they were not so long ago, mm-hmm. going back 10, 10 years or so, oh, a little bit over 10 years. The, the whole league seems, besides Real Madrid, maybe, because they do have a good young core. They just won the Champions League. They're probably going to win La Liga again. And they seem to be fine in terms of money, even though Florentino Perez was saying they were going bankrupt when he was trying to sell the Super League. But it makes me wonder uh, what's happening with La Liga. And I think it's this is something I think younger fans, even though we are young ourselves, don't realize that the powerful leagues rotate, right? If you yeah. go, if you go like to the '90s, correct me if I'm wrong. It was Italy, the Serie yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I was born in '84, so I, I definitely remember Serie A was where everyone went. Serie A was what the Premier League is today, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They had more money because um, they had the, they were Mark, yeah, Italy, well. Italy was one of the first countries to legalize betting, and. Um, they, as a result, got a lot of money through that. And then they were also the first ones to market on a, on a global scale. And they were buying players for 20 million, you know, plus um, used the currency that was the strongest at the time, Deutschmark, right, from um, from all over Europe. And um, that was a lot of money back then. I remember, too, they like Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, went there for, I think, 50 million at the time. Um, to Inter Milan, right? And um, they, Zidane, yeah, they, Zidane was a Juve. Uh, Zidane was a Juve for lots of money. And then there's Christian Vieira, who, like, I think he broke the transfer record like three times. Um, and this is like these, this, these are these were this were all Serie A. And this lasted until the early 2000s. Um, so I think like anyone saying, oh, this dominance by one league is going to be forever, it doesn't have to be that way. We have, no, seen, it changes. we have seen leagues flip-flop for various reasons. It, usually it's economy that plays a big role. Italy had a huge economic problems, right? And that means uh, meant that first Germany and then the Premier League supplanted it. Um, and then you could see, you, you look at Britain's economy today, you could very well see a future where the Premier League is getting caught up. And I mean, you look at the, the Champions League. I think the Champions League right now is a pretty good mirror of where European football is at because you have, four teams from Germany and four teams from the Premier League, right? Half the, the round of 16 is made up of those two leagues. I think Germany is more stable. Um, you yeah, Germany see, is always there. You know, yeah, like, you don't see you don't see like Bundesliga clubs uh, like completely dominant. Well, Bayern to a certain extent, but you don't see the Bundesliga completely outrun financially every league, but you never see the Bundesliga collapse. Like, like yeah. Italian soccer um, the past decade has been 
a shell of itself, right? And and like you're talking about rotating leagues, uh, if if you go even this one was probably when you weren't even born, but if you go back into the history of soccer, there was a point where the Brazilian league was the number one in the world. That there happened. Was a, there was a point where the Soviet Union were first in the UEFA coefficient standings. Jeez, <laughs> I mean that is um, a lot. Had of a, they had a really good league. A really, really good league, obviously, because there were so many countries in it too, right? That are yeah. now independent. But there was a point where the Soviet Union, year after year, they didn't win a lot of the, the clubs, didn't win a lot of titles. But um, there was a point where their teams were really strong in Europe. It rotates. Um, yeah, and I, I think it'll, and I think that'll happen to the Premier. We're probably because after the Italian league dominated, it was mostly La Liga dominating, right? We had the era of Real Madrid at the Galacticos, and then we saw Cristiano, Cacago there post the Serie A and Premier League. We saw Barcelona rise under Pep Guardiola, Lionel Messi, uh, Xavi Iniesta, and then we even saw Atletico Madrid be successful and Sevilla be successful in the Europa League level. But it seems like it's the, we're fully done with the La Liga era, even though I might be Keep talking an eye about on Portugal. <laughs> to bring Adrian back in here. No, Portugal had a good Champions League campaign. Yeah, but I was I was going to say I, I could be wrong. People can call me out because Real Madrid literally just won the Champions League, but that's one club. What I'm mm. saying is it looks like now we are probably fully embracing the Premier League era. It doesn't mean they're going to win the Champions League all the time, but just in terms of money, right? No league in the world can compete with them in yeah. terms of money, but that can change. That can yeah, Watch out change. for Britain's economic recession. Yeah, that can change very well in the next yeah. five to ten years, and then it, it takes a while. It does take a while. Like the the recession of a country to impact the national division is not immediate. It it does the trickle down effect takes some time. And Britain's economy is in absolute shambles, like absolute yeah. shambles, and that's going to have an impact on the first division at some point because consumer consumption will drop. And one of the first things that people get rid of is their the tape the TV programming, right? Mm-hmm. Like I go to the pub and watch there instead. Like if it's a holiday in Mallorca or having a Sky subscription or BT subscription, you know which one it is that people will choose. So MLS is taking over the world soon. Oh, I mean, <laughs> can we let's bring Adrian back in here because like, yeah, Adrian, come back. These teams did great things. Let's talk about Benfica. Um, Adrian, you must be just over the moon. Twenty-two matches unbeaten, man. Roger Schmidt. I cannot believe the I one cannot. and only legend by a Leverkusen reject. Oh yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> and you know what's funny is every time I speak about Benfica and how well we're doing, I get all these Eredivisie followers on my on my Twitter account saying like, "Oh, you just wait. He was a nightmare. You just wait. His football was awful." And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, PSV performed relatively well. They're I think a point behind Ajax when he finished second. They won the cup against Ajax with an emphatic victory in the final. So I don't really understand, but they say that the actual football was terrible. And then yesterday, so yesterday with Benfica, he made a double substitution in the 31st minute, which was a bit interesting um, because our striker, one, was injured. And uh, but then he also made a midfield change as well. And then people said, ah, there's the Roger Schmidt. We know overthinking everything. But of course, once again, like everything he has done thus far this season, it worked out amazingly. The striker that he put in scored a goal. The player that he put in the midfield helped to change the game. So it was just, uh, it's been an crazy, crazy, crazy season so far. 22 matches undefeated. One of only two teams in the big six, I guess you would say, that are undefeated across all competitions alongside 
PSG, a team that Benfica was able to hold to 1-1 in both matches with pretty much an identical XG in both matches, which is very, very impressive. And what a finish it was in that second half. So to sort of paint the picture for everyone, as things stood, it was 1-1 in Benfica versus Maccabi Haifa in Haifa, which by the way, what a that's another cauldron. That atmosphere in Haifa was just crazy. And then in the other match, it was Juventus hosting PSG. And I believe that they're at 1-1 at halftime as well, only for PSG to take the lead 2-1 shortly thereafter. Now, that would have put PSG in first place. And Benfica, no matter what they did, for the most part, there was a limit to no matter what they did, would have been finishing in second based on goal difference. But then Benfica got a second goal to make it 2-1. Then Benfica got a third goal to make it 3-1. In the final 20 minutes of Benfica versus Maccabi Haifa, Benfica scored four goals to make it 6-1. And that meant that they had to go down to a tiebreaker rule number seven, which is the amount of away goals scored because everything else was identical between PSG and Benfica. Goals for, goals against, et cetera, et cetera. So it went to away goals and Benfica had six to PSG's four, I believe, or, some, or something like that. Or they had more than, more than that because Benfica scored six in one game alone um, and plenty against Juventus. Um, so Benfica goes through it in the first It was the seventh tiebreaker. The seventh tiebreaker. Insane. <laughs> All the way down to that. Um, and what was funny, Manuel, is that I had both games on at the same time and Juventus were just sort of passing it around. They were sort of waiting for the final whistle because they thought, okay, all we had to do was get this win and there's nothing Benfica could do. Meanwhile, in the other match, Juan Mario scores a goal that is very much reminiscent of Eder's goal in the Euro 2016 final. And that actually all of a sudden put the heat on PSG. I guess Galtier must have gotten, you know, a text message or an update from one of his assistants because he starts screaming at the PSG players to go for the goal, go for the goal, go for the goal, because that meant that they were going to be in second place. And that messes up the whole draw. This is not what people expected because now PSG are going to be in pot number two and they can get matched up against Man City in the first round, Real Madrid. All these big teams that ended up finishing in first. So this is quite the shakeup that I'm sure UEFA yeah. wouldn't have wanted. But wait, it's, this is the question that's been bugging me for a while. Is PSG that good? Because they finished in second in their Champions League group, which is the only way we can measure their level outside of France. We're sure they're good in France. Um, and there's no other French team that has advanced the knockout rounds in the Champions League. French teams haven't done well in the Champions League in forever so are they that good or are we just you know just a little bit deluded into their actual level because you see a front three with Neymar Messi and Mbappe and all of a sudden you think this team is so good they're definitely not a crap team I'll, I'll tell you that but are they that good are they an actual Champions League contender or are we just falling in this illusion of Neymar Messi and Mbappe For I think what? it's that yeah, so from what I've seen, like let's just use the matches against Benfica as sort of like a measure. It was 1-1 in both matches. The goals that they scored against Benfica were a penalty from Mbappe, which was given away by our 18-year-old center back. I mean, no matter who was standing there, it would have been a penalty either way because of how I think it was Bernat attacked the box. So there's one goal. The other goal that they got was absolute brilliance from Messi, the way that he curled it. It was a classic Messi goal, edge of the box, left foot curling into the far post. That was the other goal that they scored against Benfica across the two matches. So if you look at it that way, 
if, and I mean, maybe I'm discounting Benfica a little bit, which I don't mean to do because we've been fantastic. But if you look at it that way, you picture PSG coming up against a Bayern, a Manchester City, Real Madrid, what have you. I think they're going to struggle quite a bit because those teams can really, really hurt them. Like if they get, I have a feeling that if they get drawn against Bayern, who else is in the mix? Um, Real Madrid, Man City, even Napoli. Chelsea could maybe give them a lot of trouble. I think that they're going to struggle a lot. Yeah, I think Bayern would just absolutely destroy them on current form. Although, like, we have to remember there's an entire World Cup in between now and... um, February. It's a lifetime away, basically. There's an entire (laughs) World Cup in between this, which you, Filippo, um, before we recorded, pointed out, could be even worse for PSG. Because let's say, like, like Neymar and uh, Messi, they go right. Let's say Messi wins it or Neymar wins it. They will they still care in February? I mean, Lionel and Messi, by all accounts, is is two foot in the MLS now, joining uh, Inter Milan, right? Like Inter Miami, Miami. Inter, sorry, Inter Miami. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, in fairness, those two teams have very close names. Um, yeah, and and logos. Uh, no, no copyright issues there. No, no. <laughs> but no, you're right. This is something to talk about too, because and not even if they win it, right? This is the last yeah. World Cup for Messi, and Neymar sort of said that it's probably his last one. Are we going to have a motivated Neymar after the World Cup? Because the Neymar we're seeing right now, we haven't seen that motivation in a while, right? Do you guys? I don't remember a Neymar like this for years that actually wants Barcelona? to play. Yeah, Barcelona probably. Since then, Neymar doesn't give a crap. But these six months, clearly he has a focus, and it's definitely not PSG. It's Mm. the World Cup. Um, And Messi too. And Messi is just a player that has nothing else to prove in his career. He has nothing else to prove. He's done everything. The only thing he has left is the World Cup, even though I don't think losing the World Cup changes his legacy at all. But winning it does give him that extra boost, and also it's a dream that he has. Yeah. So how motivated are these two players going to be after the World Cup? And how is Mbappe going to be after he loses the World Cup? Because France ain't winning it with his mm-hmm. ego. Uh, I don't know. It could be a big problem. Um, it seems like it's a soap opera more than a soccer team at this point. I think that's something to consider after, for sure. Um, yeah. How is PSG going to be post-World Cup starting in January? NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of Tactical Yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. 
Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Raycon earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com TBPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com TBPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com TBPN. It'd be really interesting to see where they get draws on Monday, right? Um, I think we can draw some more conclusions after, after that, after we see um, who they're going to get. Um, guys, what, what do you want... I mean, the Champions League, other than that, um, the final day, I think the only other one that was interesting, or I thought would be maybe interesting, was um, Schachter Donetsk against Leipzig, right? Uh, those that, that seemed like could be a tight final, but Leipzig absolutely smashed Schachter, win 4-0. Um, oh, speaking of Red Bull teams, Milan and Salzburg, I had that noted down as also as like a potential, oh, this could be really interesting, and then Milan just smashed Salzburg 4-0 as well. Um, I guess the only thing that's coming out of the of the Leipzig game is that Timo Werner is going to miss the World Cup. Um, some people might say this is a blessing in disguise. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that at all. I think Timo Werner has been in excellent form since he's returned to Germany. He's he scored against the likes of um, Real Madrid, and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, on the other hand, it might force uh, Hansi Flick to play, to actually, who has often played him out of position, to actually put him in a proper position. So we'll see with that. Is there anything else that comes to mind before we wrap up the Champions League and talk about our favorite striker, Filippo? <laughs> I think the one thing that we should also mention, just in sort of the uh, in light of injuries, etc., is yeah. also it's looking like Hyung Min San is a big doubt right. for South Korea, which is pretty brutal i don't know if you saw that injury happen but watching it live it was sort of hard to tell what was going on the because... press release sounds rough yeah an operation it, to stabilize the bone around his eye socket hikes it it looked like he was having difficulty seeing i mean yeah. it was uh it it didn't look good we couldn't really tell if it was a concussion or an orbital or something like that but it does come out that it is the eye socket so that is a huge huge loss south koreans won't like to hear this but there's no way yeah, it's that makes it all the more difficult because he is one of those X factor players where you think, okay, South Korea is at a certain level, but they do always have that way to hurt you through Hyungmin Son. So that's sad to see because I was actually looking forward to them potentially being some troublemaker makers, sorry, in Group H. But uh, yeah, unfortunate for Hyungmin Son. Maybe he'll make it, but it's it's looking tough. So we're seventeen days away from the World Cup. Um, it's a crazy thing to think about when you consider where we at um in terms of where we are in the season it's just wild um yeah have you received your check to talk um positively about qatar yet oh no is that is that a thing yeah i mean i heard they that's what that's what they're, it's floating around that they're, paying. Well, they're obviously not paying me <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, i'm sure they're not gonna do that after i gave them the oh, yeah. twitter nickname of human rights qataris they're not here's, gonna... here's the thing with qatar it's in the wrong country at the wrong time um at the wrong time of the year and it's overlapping you know i i've 
I've been in Twitter discussions with people about that in this country, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for you in the United States, Filippo. This World Cup will not move the needle in North America. It won't. Um, it doesn't matter how far Canada or the United States go. It won't move the needle here. It will not get kids to play the game. Games are at the wrong time of the day. It's going to be cold out. Um, there's not going to be public viewing. There's not going to be these sessions where you go out afterwards and play soccer in 90% of this country because it's going to be snowed over. I've talked to people within the industry, people that run Canadian Premier League teams, and they said this is the worst possible thing that could have happened to them because if the tournament had been in the summer, some of these teams would have rented out the stadiums for public viewing and then like piggybacked on and have games afterwards. They can't do this. There is almost nothing they can do to benefit from this tournament at this moment. Yeah, I don't know if you agree too, Emmanuel. I feel like one thing I've been noticing is the Qatari government or whatever, they've been trying to better their image with the West, right? Yeah. They've been trying. And it seems like every time they try to do something, because they probably don't understand Western culture and differences, they make it worse. Every yeah. time they, because I, look, look, I don't hate people. No. And I respect whatever they think of there. I don't want to interfere with their country. It's not mine. I don't live there. Mm. Um, but it seems like they are putting in an effort to try to say, hey, we're good. Believe us. We're trying our best. It seems like they're trying to do that. And every step they take, they make it worse. Yeah. They make it worse. And, and, and it's getting to a point where... You would think by the time the World Cup arrives, they would have found a way to kind of deviate the topics of the issues that have happened and focus more on soccer. But they're kind of they bringing have... it up. They're bringing it up themselves. Yeah. And you would think that they maybe have employed some people that could tell them about Western culture. They have the money. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not sure. I, there was a report. Um, there was a report because we were talking about work, about potentially sending me. So... Um, I don't know yet if I'm going or not, but um, we were talking about because of that, that some of the workers camps are now getting cleared for um, to make room for tourists to stay in these camps. It's like, well, come to Qatar, stay in a gulag, enjoy the World Cup kind of thing. I don't know if this is true or not. This was a report. It, it was, in fairness, in the in the Zeit, which is a very renowned uh, German newspaper. So I don't think they made this up, right? Um, so I I don't know what's true or this and not not. But um, I I think that there is um, there is obviously massive issues with this tournament, and they are from a PR standpoint, they're making it worse and not better. Just exactly as you said. Yeah, I mean. Pulling aside the whole human rights issue, which, which I think no one with the right mindset agrees with what Qatar did, but you can even go outside of that and talk about the the soccer aspect of this World Cup of like changing the calendar. Um, it, also, a country I'm I'm also fine with countries um, being a part of the event, but I do think when you're choosing a host and there's votes, there shouldn't be corruption. There should be to a certain extent some soccer culture within the country. Um, there's there's a lot that has to go to it, which if we were to talk about that, we'd be talking here about hours for hours. But I'm just hoping that with everything that happens, that we still have an enjoyable event, a good World Cup. And I do think that's possible. Uh, it's going to 
feel a little weird at times because of when it's happening, uh, the time of the year, a lot of other things going on, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, NBA, NFL, uh, so much going on, at least for us, right? Because we're in North America. That's why I'm referring to that. Europe is a little bit different. We'll mm. see. We'll see. Uh, we're doing our previews here. We're covering it as we should, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we're, we'll enjoy it. We'll have fun. Yeah, I guess. Um, the World Cup is a good segue, I think, Filippo, into, into what's going to happen with uh, Ricardo Pepe at the World Cup. Report today, Fabrizio Romano tweeting um, that the Augs that he's 100% going to leave Augsburg um, at the end of his Ronigan loan. Um, what did you make of that? Because Augsburg paid um, $18 million, 60 million euros at the time for the player. They, I assume that FC Dallas has some sort of options in this as well. They, You could... Could you see someone paying the amount of money that it takes for Augsburg to say, okay, we're going to cut our losses and go? Because I, from my understanding is within Augsburg that they're not going to sell them unless they're getting all their money back. Yeah. So if the, if it's all their money back, then it's like 18 to $20 million, something like that, right? That was around the value. So I find it unlikely. They already overpaid themselves. And if anything, Pepe's value went a bit down over time, right? Because he was the exciting prospect out of Major League Soccer, goes to the Bundesliga. And look, whether we want to complain about Augsburg's level or their style of play or whatever, when he was on the field, he also didn't really perform, okay? Then he goes to the Divisi. He's getting goals for Groningen. Um, I just can't see any club paying. If they want to ever maybe get near recouping that amount, they need to sell him for what he's worth, and it's probably somewhere between eight to ten, maybe twelve, probably not million. And then from there, hold on to a percentage of a future sale. And then if he balls out in the Eredivisie, maybe he can get a big transfer in like four years, two years, three years, whatever it is. The thing is, it's what we were talking about before the podcast, Manuel. Let's say they want to recoup the entire money. That's twenty million dollars. Don't you think you can go to South America and Argentina, Brazil, and purchase a higher ceiling center forward for like half that price? Especially Argentina nowadays with their economic issues. Um, we're seeing a lot of even Argentine players end up in MLS, high quality prospects. So I just don't see the cost benefit working here. Um, Fabrizio Romano is a reliable source. So this was definitely given to him by someone he trusts. I don't know who. But oh yeah, I want to make this point this out. This is—he's not going to make this up. Yeah, he's not making it up. He gains nothing out of it. He doesn't need that attention. He's a no. He reports on messy transfers, right? Firsthand. Why would what will he gain by reporting a fake news on Pepe? Uh, I think the better question is here: Who's going to benefit from Fabrizio Romano reporting this? Um, Augsburg, Pepe's agent. Um, Pep, not even Pepe, honestly. Pepe, it might Augsburg just... Augsburg is not going to benefit from it. Uh, like, because if that comes out, that's going to lower the price. Right? All of a sudden, they're desperate to sell him. That's not what a buyer does, a seller does, who wants to recuperate his money. 
Yeah, I, look, I, I only thing I'll say is that I don't believe any team is going to pay. The only way he'll leave Augsburg on a full transfer is if Augsburg accepts like half of what they paid. Then I, I could see a club betting on him. It depends on which club. Groningen can't pay $9 million. That's half. They can't pay that. So um, I don't know. And I don't see many top five league. Why would a top five league um, club bet on Pepe right now? They would probably want to see him prove that he can actually perform, right? He just went to the Bundesliga. So, I don't know. There's one way, Manuel. There's actually there's actually two ways this can go. Uh, mm-hmm. Not can go. There's two ways they, that someone could pay that fee. One is if they maybe trick a Premier League team because they overpay. That is one, right? That is one. The other one is maybe another American ownership. Um, that's really the only ways I can see Augsburg getting their $20 million back. I don't see another way. Do you see a different outcome? That's the only way I see it. Or he no, just plays. I don't see another outcome. Um, uh, Chelsea owner Bowley to their rescue. Uh, I mean, I can see him going 30 million for Pepe. It's like, okay. Uh, and then he's going to go on that Chelsea loan army forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, listen, I think... A lot of the times with us U.S. soccer fans, we can, we should get excited because when you look at Ricardo Pepe, um, the ceiling that he has compared to center forwards we had in the past, outside of like if you consider Clint Dempsey a center forward, which he was at times and probably the best center forward we have. Um, and then you have like Brian McBride, Josie Altidore, Equinalda. Pepe is a high ceiling center forward for those standards, right? Uh, so you should get excited, but you shouldn't also be unrealistic with what his level actually is, right? He's not going to be, uh, look, I know he's a 19-year-old and he can shut my mouth in 10 years. Yeah. But I, there were people calling for him to go to Bayern last year, right? Bayern Munich, a team that looks for world-class center forwards. And they were saying he was the Lewandowski re- replacement. It is nonsense, right, when you think about it. Um but anyhow, I think that's all I have to say about it. I don't see it going that way with what Romano reported. But again, Romano was told that. He didn't make it up. And remember all the stuff that we read last year about Pepe. He's like, how long is it going to take until Man United are interested, Chelsea are interested, some team in Spain? And I think many- at the end of the day, like the people that do transfer stories, they can only report what they're told. So like this is like I just feel like we've seen this before. Yeah, it's it's similar to like it's somewhat similar when people were calling me out for the Tati Castellanos to Palmeiras transfer. Uh, he actually had that was true. It was that true. Was a, that was, that was had, a true story. It was. He had an offer. I know people there. He had an offer from Palmeiras. They really wanted Castellanos. They needed a center forward. They ended up buying Flaco Lopez later on, and yeah. the reason he didn't go was because. Tati wanted to win MLS Cup, and he did, and he wanted to go to Europe. That's why he didn't go, because Palmeiras actually did want him, and he would have been a great addition to Palmeiras. And then it didn't happen, right? The transfer, and everyone's saying, oh, you lied. It's like, no, I didn't. That's what I was told, and it was all real. The deal yeah, was No, 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 that was real. Like, I, I was told the same stuff. That was it was real. He, yeah. he he was, and, and, and it would have been a great signing for Palmeiras at the time. We really needed him. Uh, same thing with Pepe to Wolfsburg. It was true. The deal was done, and then this overpay by Augsburg, and Augsburg is honestly paying the price for that right now. Uh, 
again, we'll see what happens with Pepe. Uh, I obviously am cheering for him as much, but I think Eredivisie is his level right now and probably for a foreseeable future. I think he should stay there, become a 10, 15 to 20 goal season Eredivisie player. And that is great for the U.S. I'm going to 100% speculate now before we, we wrap up the show, maybe with the MLS Cup final preview. But the only team in the Netherlands that can pay that fee that Augsburg wants is Ajax. They won't pay twenty million. They'll go to Brazil, Argentina. Yeah, they, they, they can do it. Yeah, they but pay. they won't. They no, won't. no. I'm not saying that, yeah. that they will do it, but they're the only team in the Eredivisie that has that sort of money. Yeah, and and the thing is, their scouting team is like amazing. They they will they will find exactly what they want. If they find something wrong, they're not signing it. This is the only thing that like maybe, and like this is pure speculation. So don't don't uh, don't radio me as they say. But they did sign uh, Sebastian Haller, who is a similar profile. Okay. Yeah, but he, that guy had been around, right? Yeah. yeah. And wasn't with all this criticism at the time either. Um, so maybe, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Adrian is, Adrian is jumping into discussion with putting in Braga, Portugal would be a good natural step. I mean, maybe Roger Smith is going to fix this guy's career. I, maybe. I was just sort of thinking about what would be a good natural step for him from Groningen. And I think that if he does well this season, then maybe teams in Portugal would be interested. And I think that that would be a good place for him to develop and you know get a little more tactical awareness, etc. So I could see that happening. But other than that, like Filippo was saying, just stay where it is there's there seems to be always such a rush for these young players like you gotta go That's straight to the top you gotta every go time you get the transfer the agent gets 10 percent. exactly least. these agents just like they gotta get to the top team top team top team over and over and over again but i think a good natural step you know it's fine to be a really good player in eredivisie it's totally fine <laughs> and maybe another step would be to portugal or to a, a mid-table team in la liga or what Filippo was saying about another american owner you know there's a lot in Serie. Um, mm. i don't know that one of the top teams would be able to take him right now but if one of those ones that's in city b ends up getting promoted who knows maybe look to Serie A as well yeah and there's lots of american ownership in Serie A. So or there was a report what was it, like over half the league, I think now. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll see um, where, where it's going to go, where the peppy train is going next. Uh, it will be an interesting story to follow. Um, I'm going to LA, guys, to do the final, the MLS Cup final. That's going to be fun. I am looking forward to it. I haven't been to LA since I've been a teenager. Been to California lots, but for some reason not to LA. And I've never been to the Bank of California Stadium naturally. And really looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be a great final, guys, because it's first against first. First Man, of the West against first of the East. And it's two me, totally different philosophies, right? Let me ask you one thing. Do you think they should have put this maybe on in SoFi Stadium? Yeah, I think so. I think it would have um, filled out. I think it would have. I was saying jokingly, and that this was before I found out that there's um, a throwball game um, at at the Rose Bowl. Um, I would have put it there. Um, that would have been cool. But now that I know that there's an American football game, um, it's uh, U- USC, right? Who's playing there? 
um, some some big American football game, college football game is taking place there, um, which means it's an absolute logistical nightmare for LAFC because they call the parking is gone. So they're using Dodgers parking and they have shuttles and they're asking people to use rideshare and public transport. Gas, we don't want American to use public transport. Um, um, this is a very European take. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but here's my question to you outside of that. Um, let's talk about one European player here. What's up with Bale? What's he, up? He's on the bench. Yeah, um, he came back from injury. He's just he's just enjoying life in LA, isn't he? I kind of think this is actually a good story for MLS. Uh, here's why. Because Bale didn't just come in. Like, if he had come in after being on semi-retirement in Madrid and had let, shred the league to to pieces, like many people expected him to, that would have been really bad PR for MLS. Now he's here and he's not getting a look and the team has still made the final, might win it, and he was just a bystander. That's actually kind of good PR for the league, Filippo. Because it shows that you cannot just be some European retired guy and walk into a team. Yeah, it's what Higuain showed us too. I well, Higuain that... had to work really hard. And in fairness, he did. He he did go out, probably had his back. This season, right? This yeah, season. this season. Yeah. But it, like, it shows that MLS is hard. It's not like the Beckham era MLS anymore where you just some retired European guy and you can just show up. No, and we saw that with that. That's been happening. The, like Rafa Marquez wasn't good here. Um, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Even Schweinsteiger was a bit below what we he all. He took a year. Yeah. Brenner took Brenner took a full year. Yeah, so definitely not that MLS is not a joke league anymore. There's a lot to improve for sure, and I think yeah. part of it is more to do with like even what Greg Berhalter said about intensity and pressure on the ball. It's a little but bit that's different. because so many games are meaningless. Exactly. A lot of them, like in, in the playoffs, you don't see that issue. There's no. a lot of pressure on the ball. The and, playoffs are awesome. Yeah, but in the regular season, some games, if you're a casual and you sit down to watch, you're like, wait, why yeah. does this feel like a friendly? Because, because there's too many games that are just don't mean anything. And that's, yeah. that's a huge, like, I don't know how you fix that. Well, the I have a suggestion. Promotion relegation, guys. <laughs> Well, that, that's part of it. But I had a suggestion outside of promotion relegation. What you can do is you divide the season in two, kind of like how they do in Argentina, Mexico. You have oh, the yeah. Abertura and the Clausura. So every game is worth more because if you lose, the odds of making – and less teams in the playoff um, or, or make like small regional tournaments uh, and then lead on to a major – I think that's the fix. Especially because it's such a big country. That's the yeah. problem. And also, um, we have Canada in the same thing. So it's not just the U.S. It's the U.S. and Canada. It's such so much land to cover. Boy, just to give you put it in perspective, um, it's I'm I'm going. It's a short trip for me to L.A. Adrian knows the sizes of the West Coast, right? Um, it's a three-hour flight. <laughs> hey, that's a short trip for us, right? Uh, and that's like what Vancouver deals with. And imagine if you had a team in Florida coming to Vancouver, going cross diagonally across the continent. Yeah. What's that flight like? It's like fifteen hours. Like just getting from Vancouver. Well, like if you fly I'm... direct, it's like oh, I guess it's a six or seven hour flight. Exactly. Like when I fly from Victoria to Montreal, that's that's a good six hours of airtime. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's a huge, huge, huge amount of land that you have to cover. It's pretty wild. Yeah, and people, I think a lot of Europeans don't understand that. This is like 
Canada is the second largest in the country in the world by uh, area after than Russia. And US, I think, is fourth. So you have the second largest and fourth largest country in the world merged together as one league. <laughs> it's, I think that's the logistics that a lot of people don't understand. And the other thing is, like, I'm going from five degrees rainy West Coast to LA, and it's 22 degrees there. Which is another crazy bonkers. Yeah, I, and the thing is, we can do small regional tournaments here and yeah. lead up to MLS. I think someone can, I don't follow it as close, and I don't think either of you do as well. But in the U.S., probably one of the biggest sporting cultures that we have. I don't follow it close, but I watch it with friends when I can. Is college football, and they brought to my attention that sort of how college football operates in regional tournaments. Yeah. Um, maybe s copy a little bit of that model that's already successful, right? Because it, it, I guess, like you, you don't have to work exactly as South America or Europe do, but you do need to find what works best for your country, and that might be what works best for a major league soccer. The thing that bothers me about MLS is that. I understand it's a big corporation, but at times it seems like they're very slow to understand what they have to do. They were talking about a new format to the playoffs, like a World Cup-like turn. It's, it's just, the playoffs like, are fine. They're fine. That's Yeah, exactly. That's not the problem. That's what we're trying to say. That's the problem is everything leading up to the playoffs. Exactly. And they were trying, they're trying to change what's not the problem. Yeah. So we'll see. But the, the, speaking of which of the final that you're talking about, um, and before we go to that, Adrian is also mentioning that Brazil, yeah, Brazil does have um, regional tournaments. Uh, over time, they became less meaningful because teams are already in the Brasileirão, the league and everything. But we do have not regional, but more state tournaments. State. We used to have the Copa Sudeste, Copa Nordeste that are regional, right? The whole region of of the of the part of the country but now it's just state and it's more just for money and then smaller teams from the state tournament not the big ones the big ones are already in the first division second the smaller teams qualify to like the fourth and fifth division that's how they make it to those and then they can move up the ranks but um it's been a problem actually in brazil because the calendar there is so insane of the amount of games abel ferreira from portugal um that you know very well adrian has been complaining that in, in in the in I think teams in Europe that play like Champions League final everything right they finish the season what sixty games right something like that Manuel yeah yeah so Palmeiras yeah. like I think this season Palmeiras had like eighty one games or something it's <laughs> so, crazy yeah, yeah and they don't have as much depth and as resources as like a Liverpool a Bayern and and he was just saying like this is nonsense how did the players here's, here's what I would do. Um, I think the MLS is going to expand for quite some time. Um, and that is, you know, just because of the, the, the amount of money people, the league gets for expansion fees, right? And so I could see the league go for 40 teams. Um, and then I would just do it into four divisions. Uh, everyone plays each other once. You do like add maybe another... Um, a few games like sort of what they do in the NFL, right? Where you have like teams where like a few games where you play someone from a different division. Um, make it like a twenty-six game kind of schedule, so that you don't have a lot of time to actually fix mistakes, and then like the top four of every division goes to the playoffs. Yeah, uh, it's. I think the 
essentially what they need to do is find a way to have more at stake for each game. Yes, exactly. That's and it. you do that by limiting the games in the regular season to make it harder, right? Um, and then at, then you expand the playoffs. Yeah, because just to make it clear, when you said promotion relegation, I agreed with you. The only reason I didn't expand on it is because I know it won't happen. No, it's not happening. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you that it would add more at stake because then the bottom teams have to desperately fight for something. And that I agree. It's just I didn't really expand upon it because we know it's not happening. Um, but, but yeah, the final is exciting because last year I actually thought Philly should have been in the cup. They would have probably beat New York in my it's opinion. All COVID. Yeah, they had like seven starters of COVID and then New York City got that win and went to the final. So this year we get Philly and then we get LAFC that built that super team. But you were talking about the most interesting story of them all, Gareth Bale. He was one of the reasons why we called it a super team. And it turns out he is not useful to them at all. They don't need him. And they made it without him. He didn't play the first playoff match because he was injured. The second one, he was on the bench. So... It'll be it's interesting. interesting. It's really interesting because it's also like Ernst Tanner, of course, the sporting director of Philadelphia Union, accusing LAFC earlier this year of breaking the rules by signing more than three DPs. Remember that? That's it. that's an interesting yeah. little, little side note here. It's going to be great. I'm I'm immensely looking forward to. I was supposed to go to the MLS Cup final in Portland last year, and then uh, Omicron kind of ruined my plans because the border was a mess who do you have winning i i'm really torn i don't know um it's it's really nice because i'm a neutral right i i have no stakes in this game i'm really looking forward to see it i'm really looking forward to cover it um my guts say la because they have the better team i think well Nah, that's the wrong thing to say. But defense wins trophies, Manuel. Yeah, they do. And also, I think that... Oh, man, Crepo is a good keeper too, though. I do think that Philadelphia just about have the better keeper. Just. Yeah, Blake Blake might be the best goalkeeper in MLS right now. Yeah, has been for some time. Um, but it's. I think it's going to be very close. It could be like last year where it goes into penalties. Um, yeah, I, I the the one thing is this: um, when it's league play, um, I usually always go for the better roster, better team. When it's cup, there's a bunch of like these little things you got to look into. Yeah. And defense in cup is far more important than league. You can win the league yeah. by not even having a top four defense. That happens a lot. Cups usually are teams that are very solid on the back. And have enough, and and Philly has enough talent up top to get the goals. Um, I am gonna go with Philly winning. I'm gonna go with that, and I don't think it's even. I don't even think it's an upset. I think either way, even either one's fine. Shemansky, who's who's beaten Vegas uh, with his um, betting model, um, he's told me he's the author of Soconomics that in MLS. The two major factors to determine whether you win a game or not is A, home advantage, and B, market value. LAFC have both. They have the Mm -hmm. market value advantage, uh, and he uses Transfermarkt for this, and they have the home advantage. But it's a cup final. 
But once it once that's like what you use if you want to make money and bet your odds of winning are higher. But once the ball kicks off, anything can happen. I know this is a model, yeah. right? Like a mo- like I would say so. Out of ten games, LAFC would probably win seven. Most likely, yeah. Yeah. So that's my take. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's that's one thing to point out to everyone. It's like when you talk about a prediction model. Yeah. Uh, it's not predicting what will happen. It's just that if you predict that outcome several times, you will win more than you yeah. will lose. That's it. Exactly. That's how old models work, whether yeah. it's for elections, games, um, you know, that's like, that's a Nate Silva approach, right? For, for at 538. And a lot of people don't understand that they, because people don't understand odds, but it's essentially if you like have 10 balls, uh, and you would draw them, seven of them would come out for LAFC. And I don't know exactly what the odds are. Um, I'm doing this, you know, I'm winging it. Um, and then three would come out for Philadelphia. Um, that's still a good chance that Philly could win it. Mm-hmm. So It'll be a good one. I wouldn't bet my life on it. Let's say it that way. <laughs> it's no. not 100%. It's a, I wouldn't bet my life on any one-leg playoff round in, in, no, in soccer. absolutely not. Like, uh, we saw Croatia make it to the World Cup final. We've seen South Korea make it to a World Cup semifinal, yeah. despite it being rigged, but that's a different but, 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 Answer your question. I'm taking LAFC, but I would not be shocked if Philadelphia wins this. And Adrian, why don't you just why don't we close with Adrian giving his prediction? Even though I know he didn't follow too long, but Adrian, there's no shame on being wrong here. I'm going LAFC, just the home factor for me. As someone who has not watched pretty much anything besides Montreal, I will go with uh, LAFC because they're playing at awesome. home. All right, well, guys, there's that. I will be at the final, so look for my content. Uh, a lot of it on Transfermarkt. And um, we'll be doing some Twitter stuff as well. I'm immensely looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out on that. And we'll be back next week with another episode. We'll probably discuss this game and all the other stuff that's happening. So until then, cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>